Welcome to the Diorc hot seat. If you've been in Web3 for a while, you've probably come across Protocol Labs, or at least you've used some of its products. If you've ever interacted with an NFT, chances are that the metadata of that NFT was stored in IPFS, Interplanetary File System, which was one of the main products uh, from Protocol Labs. Well, Protocol Labs have a lot more on the storage side. They're also the creators of Filecoin, a decentralized storage network with a built-in economic model. One of the differences between IPFS and Filecoin is that economic model, given that Filecoin is pay-to-play, but also Filecoin allows for a different set of storage providers, more optionality, more features, etc. And now, coming in hot, also with its own Filecoin virtual machine, which enables smart contracts in Filecoin, opening the door to programmable data. Yeah, you've heard that tune before. Smart contracts on Ethereum brought programmable currencies. This is such a 2017 tune, though. And the FBM, the Filecoin virtual machine, brings programmable data. To explain what the heck that means, we have Sara Tiam, developer experience lead for the FBM. Let me know what you think, but I am filing this episode as one of the most interesting ones in the category of the centralized storage. Sara, you can you can take it away. First of all, thank you for coming. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me on today. Uh, it's really nice to meet the dark community. Yeah, this is like the first uh, hot heat situation that I've been in. So please be kind. <laughs> all right. So nice to meet all of you. My name is Sarah. I am the Falcon Virtual Machine SEM Developer Experience Lead. So I lead a team of... Um, Dev advocates that we write education uh, content, uh, docs, tutorials, uh, we give talks, workshops, and so on, um, on how you can adopt the Falcon virtual machine and what you can build with it. Um, some background about me before I came into Protocol Lab. So right now, um, Falcon virtual machine is part of Protocol Labs, which is the R&D lab behind Falcon as a whole. Um, so I'm at Protocol Labs right now. Before this, I was working at the Singapore government doing uh, something like international developer relations, which was pretty interesting. I was pretty curious and it was fun for about two years there. And before that, I was at Microsoft for about five years um, doing multiple things at once, product, product marketing, and finally developer relations in Microsoft as well. Um, so that's how I kind of fell into DevRel and I've been doing it ever since. So that's a little bit about me. Um, and you know, that's me coming in from Web 2 into Web 3. Uh, I have a fresh pair of eyes into how people look at um, Web 3. And it has been useful, I would say, to help to simplify a lot of these things, um, these concepts that people are new to. Um, and especially with uh, Falcon Virtual Machine, which is very new. We only launched back in March. Uh, we launched the mainnet back in March mid-March this year. And since I joined the team in September last year, we've been building it since, um, well, the inception of it came around in early 2022. Uh, and we were more rigorously building around mid-2022 all the way to now with a team of about four engineers. So you can imagine like that a lot of work has gone into it. Um, I have the privilege of representing my team, but we have a really huge team uh, and, you know, partner teams behind us that have made this happen. So a lot of interesting stuff to share with all of you today. I hope some of you have already tried out FBM at the multiple hackathons we've been doing. Um, so I will cover what you can build with FBM 
um, it's definitely been a lot of things that uh, it's been developing. So uh, if you have attended one of our talks before, this could be a little bit different from what you've heard previously. Uh, we've had a lot of new uh, features come in, coming in for Falcon Virtual Machine, especially around the storage side of things and how we can have more programmable storage in Web3. So yeah, without further ado and rambling, I shall get into my presentation and talk about the FVM itself and definitely welcome your questions on top of that. So let's get into it. All right, so I'll be talking about programming on the FEM. Um, if you are interested to find out more about the FEM, we have our Twitter channel over there, FEM Dev. Uh, we also have a Phil Builders channel where we sometimes do tutorials and live coding uh, on the channel with FEM. Yep. So yeah, definitely follow us there. So Falcon Virtual Machine, just to give some broad, broad context on, you know, you definitely should, you definitely know about Falcon. Uh, you might not know all the different things within Falcon, and you might be wondering, uh, Falcon has been around for about five to, uh, about five to seven years now. Uh, why is compute only coming in now? Um, this is because we have had, uh, our founder, Juan Benet, has had this, uh, this Falcon master plan uh, since day one, and these are the huge three steps that we are we had in the plan, and we are now on step three. So step one was to build the Falcon decentralized storage network itself with all the storage providers on board, um, figuring out what our L L one uh, uh, what our L zero protocol would look like, how that would function. Uh, step two would be onboarding and safeguarding humanity's data. So we're doing we are still doing a lot of data onboarding as of today, and lastly would be bringing compute to the data to enable web skill applications. Um, Briefly, you can kind of think of it as a vision for us to become what AW is to Web2 uh, in terms of Falcon becoming what that is to Web3. So by having like one of the largest decentralized storage networks out there today, I think it's at about 20 exabytes, if I'm not wrong. Um, you know, we, we hope that once we add compute on top of that, we would enable a very uh, much something very similar to a server-like experience and allow people to build applications that are truly uh, decentralized. So some clarifications on the Filecoin stack, we get a lot of questions around this and I wanted to clarify um, how all these work in complement and how they are different at the same time. So you might have heard of IPFS, Filecoin, they are not the same. Uh, for IPFS is a peer-to-peer -peer network. It is mostly about pinning data across different nodes that you or a community that you are part of or some service providers can run. So IPFS is mostly as a pinning service. Uh, where we hold information and we use it in complement really closely with Filecoin and FBM as a way to pin data that you can quickly retrieve. Um, whereas data stored on Filecoin, which is a layer zero, and that is on-chain, um, is cryptographically stored and it requires to be cryptographically um, unsealed to then retrieve the data, which can take slightly longer time. So this was mostly around archival data and we have uh, quite a few projects in the work make retrieval a lot faster from Filecoin directly, but in the meantime, we use it very closely in complement with IPFS as a pinning service. Um, FVM itself is a layer one on top of the layer zero. So this is compute over state. Uh, when I say compute over state, what it refers to is that it is writing logic around the metadata of storage deals on the Filecoin network. So on the Filecoin network, you have a huge decentralized storage network. Um, within this network you have, it is supported by a whole community of storage providers. And these storage providers, work, so they are the ones that store your data off-chain, um, but on-chain, they are making a deal with a client that wants to store a piece of data. So if you want to store a JPEG, you would then make a deal with a storage provider. 
the storage provider would, would, they, uh, would then publish your storage deal onto the network and then store your data off-chain. Um, these storage deals have meta metadata to them, so things like um, how long your storage deal is meant to last for, what's the size of data within it, and what SEM then does is to write logic around the metadata of your storage deals. So we are able to manipulate the data without having to make it very costly to unseal the data and then manipulate it separately. Um, of course, you can still do those, uh, you know, especially in things like decentralized compute frameworks that we have where you actually do unseal the data and compute it separately. Um, but then FPM is the one that helps you to move your storage deals around, write logic around it and manipulate it there. So it, it is meant to make it much easier to move your data around with FPM uh, on Filecoin. So that is the layer one. Um, and then that enables the layer two, which is where all the builders and developers come in, where you can build your, build your storage-related applications and solutions um, on top of uh, Filecoin using FEM. Uh, right, so I'll, I'll get, I hope this gives a little bit of a differentiation into what the different components of the Filecoin stack are like and how we use them all together. It's kind of like an evolution that, that you know, we create, honestly recreated using chronological order. You can build a lot with FEM. There are a ton of use cases that we have enabled. Um, I'll talk through some of them to give a little bit of a focus. Um, but by and large, like, there are things like, you know, almost anything that you imagine that you can do with storage, right? And also that you could do with the collateral within the Falcon network. So there is a whole space where you could do DeFi projects, like, for example, uh, staking pools and the collateralized lending to enable more a storage provider to participate in the network with a lower amount of collateral that they need to lock in. Um, you could also do storage-focused applications like data DAOs is a really big use case for us. It is unique to the Falcon ecosystem um, because you are able to build a DAO that is focused on a certain data set and a, usually a typically very large data set that you can then manage and uh, manage and do multiple and enable a whole community based off of the data set. You could preserve the data set, you could provide access control to the data set and earn uh, profits off of it to add to your DAO's treasury and use that treasury to enable the perpetual deal renewal of your specific data set so your data set could last forever. Right? So again, a lot of things that you could do on FEM. Um, I don't have time to get into each of them, so I'll get a little bit more into what people are building today and some focus areas on what we are currently focused on building right now. So uh, we have FBM Builder cohorts and projects. Uh, we've had a whole cohort that launched the mainnet shortly after we launched the mainnet in March. Um, they have deployed all their contracts online. There have been about 55 projects that have built with FBM and launched the mainnet as of today that we know of. Uh, we've also had like a, a bulk of them being staking and leasing pools, which I talked about the, um, the DeFi opportunity earlier on. So these are a large part of the Builder cohorts and projects that have come up and are continuing to build right now. We are also running a ton of hackathons. Uh, we've received about 800 FEM submissions to date, uh, like qualified users of FEM uh, to date. So a lot of people are really building on top of it and there's really strong momentum. So we're very excited to see the different kinds of projects that are coming out of this. Okay, and for the engineering side of things, talking a little bit about the FEM architecture. Um, if you look to the right, that is the diagram for what FEM, uh, how the FEM architecture looks like. Um, there are two areas over here that I wanted to focus on. So um, as you can see in the bottom area of the diagram, you will see how FEM is a virtual machine that runs on top of a Filecoin node. So in case you were wondering, it runs, you can run multiple instances of FEM on top of a Filecoin node, but that's where it sits. Um, on top of that, the part that is really interesting for developers will be around access. 
So actors in the Falcon ecosystem translate to smart contracts. We call them actors because they uh, function slightly differently. So it is technically defined as an actor. Um, we have two categories of actors here that developers can use. One would be native actors and one would be foreign actors. So on the left, you'll see native actors. Um, a subset of this is built-in system actors that we as developers cannot touch. These are just built into the Falcon protocol. Um, they are system actors like the market actor, um, which runs your storage deals, or the minor actor, which runs your storage provider, so we cannot touch those. But as developers, we are able to use the user-defined WASM actors. Um, the whole thing here is built on WebAssembly. We use WASM time under the hood. Um, for user-defined WASM actors, what you could do is that, you know, it, you could choose your preferred framework that you want to compile to WASM. So we have some SDKs that are built up for Go, Assembly Script, uh, and Rust right now as of today, and we hope the community builds more. Um, but this will allow you then to then compile the WASM actors and use it um, on the, on Falcon mainnet. Um, however, today we have not launched WASM actors to mainnet, and that's still in development. And I'll talk about foreign actors in a second on what you can do today. Um, that's something that's on the roadmap for either end 2023 to early 2024. Um, and right now, as of now, if you wanted to experiment with it, you could use those SDKs I just mentioned to build in local net. Um, but the stuff that you can build on today is our foreign actors. So one that we have launched um, on mainnet today, which is when I talk about the launch, this is what we have launched. We wanted to target the biggest community of developers that we knew out there. Um, so we launched the, the FBM EVM compatible version. So we call it the FEVM. Um, it allows you to write in Solidity, use Hardhack, use Metamask, use Foundry, all the tools that you are familiar with to write these smart contracts um, that will then, so let's say you write um, a Solidity contract as you know it, a simple ERC20 token, um, and you want it to maybe in, involve some protocols from the, uh, involve some methods from the Falcon protocol. We have a like Falcon.Solidity that allows you to access all the different protocols on the Falcon network pretty seamlessly. So you just need to call those methods within your Solidity contract, and you can deploy the whole contract. When you deploy it, you, will, you could deploy it using MetaMask uh, to pay for the transaction, but you will be deploying it effectively to the Falcon network and not to the Ethereum network. Um, the benefit of using FEVM versus EVM and writing separately to a separate storage platform is it allows you a lot more granular control around the logic that you want to write for storage and retrieval. Um, this is really the unique value uh, proposition here for you to use FEVM versus just FEM, uh, just versus just EVM. And by doing so, it should be much more efficient in cost, performance, and so on, um, especially if, let's say, storage is, is a huge part of your solution. Uh, so that's what we launched today. Um, but all in all, the FEM itself is meant to be VM agnostic. So today we support EVMs, uh, we are built in such a way that we could be adaptable to support things as well. Um, so maybe in the future, we might be supporting things like Solana and so on. Um, but this is, uh, these are, these are, uh, we intend to be SVM agnostic as possible. Um, some things are coming up on the roadmap. So user-defined WASM actors, as I mentioned earlier on, so that would be a really big one for us coming in early 2024. Um, account abstraction is something else that we're looking at as well, not in the same way that is defined in the Ethereum community. We're thinking about account abstraction in the sense of allowing new foreign non-blockchain runtimes to, uh, to run on FEM in a, permission, uh, in a permissionless way using account abstraction. So that's something that we're working on as well uh, for the rest of 2023. And we are also working on IPC and FPM. So IPC is interplanetary consensus that is uh, kind of like our version of Cosmos that we've built out. So that, is, that has stuff launched 
uh, a few months ago, there's a testnet that is ready um, and it should launch fully by this year. But we see uh, it's kind of like a side chain and we see a lot of potential coming in for, with IPC and, and FEM building together in the sense that it will allow more team space. It will allow for faster, you know, right now block time is about 30 seconds. IPC by, uh, by spinning up new subnets to allow transactions to become much faster than 30 seconds, which is not um, ideal for an application to run. Um, it should be also much cheaper to have IPC running the uh, running the subnet. So we see like the the that solution space really growing exponentially once IPC and FBM are ready to use together. So that's something that we're working on for the rest of 2023 as well. Cool. So I'm going to run through really quickly on the section. I know I'm almost out of time, but current focus for FBM builders uh, one would be programmable storage markets. Um, so that is around uh, having programmatic storage and retrieval workflows. We're working on some ways to make it easier for developers to use storage and retrieval workflows with FPM uh, and to integrate them into their dApps. Uh, we're also looking at perpetual storage of, uh, of perpetual storage, which refers to renewal, repair, and replica of storage deals on the network and how you can do that in an automated, automated way. The other big focus for us would be around data dials and depth. So I briefly explained what a data dial can do. Um, I have another talk that talks a little bit deeper into how we envision data dials working. But essentially, if you look to the diagram on your right, it kind of resembles, broadly resembles like a cake. Um, you will have the base layer of storage management, which will be around repair workers, renew workers, new storage yields, how you can create these yields and continue to repair and renew them. Uh, and then adding a layer on top of that, which is all the dial stuff that we're very familiar with. Um, governance, tokenomics, and endowment management that will then uh, relate to your data set being managed. Uh, we have a data DAO starter kit that you can actually use right now to start building your data DAOs and trying it out, um, but we have a lot more innovation coming in that space. Um, the other thing that we are focusing on is building a very rich DEV ecosystem for DEVs to choose Cloudcoin as a network of choice. So that involves us getting more partners integrated. So right now we have Oracle, like Teller, PIS, they're all coming in. Sushi Swap is coming in as a deck for uh, integrated into the Falcon network. Um, and we're also looking at the graph coming in as well. So we're working on all these things to make it super easy for you to build your deck on the Falcon network. So I'm going to go into my data DAO example because I don't have time, but it would have been really cute corgis to show you. Um, but here is a link central if you are interested to find out more. Follow us, find out our docs, UK ideas, requests for startup, community, grant opportunities. These are all in this link tree over here. So definitely check that out. Wow, thank you. Thank you for this comprehensive overview, all squeezed in a little bit over 10 minutes. So appreciate <laughs> the consideration for time. I think we can start with the hot seat questions. So I will start with the first. You mentioned that the Filecoin VM is actually VM agnostic. I guess that's really because it's based on Wasm. So you're compiling like Solidity, for example, you'd be compiling Solidity to Wasm. Is that where we're going? I have a follow-up yeah. question if this is a yes. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> compiling Solidity to Wasm, we also have a fully feature-complete uh, Ethereum JSON RPC API that we use. Yeah, so that, that has really helped a lot in the architecture. Yeah. Um, you, you also mentioned that like, the, the reason why one someone would use the Filecoin VM versus Ethereum or another blockchain is because you get all of this flexibility and control over the data storage and data management. So right now, if you write in Solidity, what is happening under the hood? You have extra opcodes that you can access, like, and, and how can you access those opcodes? Like, 
what is exactly the conversion here and how do you expand the functionality of Solidity? Yeah, um, we do have opcodes, although I don't know if they are accessible right now. Um, yeah, I don't think we, I, I do not think our opcodes are accessible, but we do, we definitely have those under the hood. So for so, an I, Ethereum developer trying to, trying to access these extra, extra features on storage, um, can they do it just with Solidity or they would have to use the native WASM modules? Uh, they could do it with just Solidity. Um, it would have to rely mostly on the on what our Falcon.Solidity library offers today. Um, but right now, the library mirrors what all the different um, methods that you can access on the Falcon protocol as a Falcon developer, uh, as in like just purely on the Falcon protocol, what you could access today is mirrored within the Solidity library that we have. So just purely based off of that is how you would access the different um, storage and retrieval methods that you wanted to use. Great, thank you. How about other questions? Okay, Nick, go ahead. Yeah, first off, I just want to say thank you, uh, Sarah, for taking the time to go through that presentation. That was fantastic. Um, I've been following Filecoin for a while, and it's uh, it's really exciting, exciting oh, stuff you. you guys are working on. Yeah, it, it's, it's been a lot, yeah. Yeah, and so I guess, and you touched on this this briefly with um, FVM, and I, I was just curious about uh, the data management and uh, autonomy side of things. I, you know, uh, you know, since the introduction of, of uh, FVM, it sounds like uh, you know data management has or is becoming you know fully autonomous, right? You know, you could, uh, if you could, I guess maybe provide some detail into you know this automation and you know streamlining of the process for storage. Uh, clients, you know, seeking optimal storage providers, you know, how does this process, you know, ensure the best match for specific client needs, right? Mm -hmm. I guess, it, it, just to clarify, you know, like in traditional cloud storage systems, you know, the onboarding and management of data can involve, you know, several different steps, right? And even sometimes require manual oversight uh, to ensure, you know, data is stored securely and efficiently, you know, so you know, the process in, in that case might involve selecting, you know, a storage provider, determining storage requirements, uh, negotiating terms, ensuring data is correctly mm -hmm. uploaded and retrievable. Um, so, you know, with the introduction of FEM and its smart contract capabilities, you know, these processes could essentially be automated, right? You know, so mm -hmm. I guess, for example, uh, you know, a smart contract could be written to automatically seek out the best storage provider for a client's, you know, specific needs based on uh, mm -hmm. certain criteria such as, uh, I don't know, cost, location, uh, you know, availability, redundancy. Um, so I, I, I guess, uh, you know, with this uh, new level of uh, autonomy, you know, it also raises, you know, new challenges and questions. So, you know, how, like, how does, you know, a smart contract, you know, determine the best storage provider? You know, how does it negotiate, you know, the terms and how does it handle potential disputes or issues such as data loss or uh, provider failure? Yeah, okay. Uh, huge question, uh, but great question. So yeah, let me let me start maybe at deal making. Right? Let's see simple deal making. Uh, it, I, I guess it is wrong. So before FEM came into place, like the only people that would be interacting with the Falcon protocol would be storage providers on our network. Um, in order to make a deal, you could you could run a Lotus node yourself, and uh, Lotus being our 
reference node implementation, you could run a node yourself, and you could use that to make a deal with a storage provider. Um, it was an extremely complex process, well, relatively, okay, actually, yes, very complex process, where you have to key in a lot of details like you just mentioned around, like, you know, the start and everything of the deal, all that. Um, what you could do with FPM is that we have, uh, so for example, we, we created like a template contract, it's called a deal client contract. Um, we try to emulate the client as much as possible. And uh, let me share this resource in the chat, but it's called the FPM deal making kit. Uh, it does explain a lot of what, what I'm about to say um, as one of the, to tackle one part of your question. Um, but what it does is that it allows you to have a pretty easy interface where you can key in uh, key information that you wanted to have within your deal. So things like, how long do you want your deal to run for? Um, what is the CID that you want to point to? The content ID referring to the JPEG that you have prepared as a piece of data to then get the content ID for. What content ID, what CID do you want to point to it to get stored? Um, what is your preferred method of storing, um, as in of transferring data over to the storage provider to store? Um, and, you know, that, like, so this is like a base contract interface that we've created um, that you can then key in like, and run within Solidity. And once you deploy the contract, it will allow you to set your deal, um, set your deal running. What you can do with this as well is that you could set it in a programmatic fashion that it like every time maybe a piece of data is uploaded to your DAO, um, you could then trigger this deal client and you could automate how those fields are filled in. So things that we've realized uh, once we've run this, we ran this at a few hackathons for about two months and we realized that one of the pain points was uh, starting an epoch, you know, are easily confused. Like it's something that could uh, could easily confuse um, maybe new developers, and they might key in the wrong epoch, and they might not actually have the deal proposal happen. Um, so we've been we've been making imp uh, improvements over time. Like we're thinking about building like either building a wrapper contract around it to reduce to make it even easier for people to key in the information to make the deal and automate it, uh, or maybe creating a highlight task that could uh, reduce a lot of the errors for a lot of the deals. So you could maybe auto like calculate what the what the like using epoch is a really good example here what the current epoch of the falcon network is at uh what would be the ideal epoch for you to key into your deal and have it run and you could edit it from there so all these all these are enabled because fbm fbm ebm compatible version exists um for us to be able to create all these improvisations on top of it and to make make deal making so much easier right so that's like ground zero where we have like deal making accomplished now when it comes to things like storage providers um Right now, we're talking to our Phil Plus team. So Phil Plus is like a program that we run. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, it's a program that we run on top of the Falcon network that allows us to um, kind of store the reputation of different storage providers that, that uh, you know, hit certain criteria with us and are like KYC with us. We know their profiles well. We've been tracking their progress over time. There is a reputation board that exists today. It's completely off-chain, by the way. Um, but how can we use, like, we've been exploring ways of how could we could use um, the FBM, uh, FBM EVM compatible version. I'm just going to keep saying FEVM from now on. Um, how could we use FG, FEVM to then tap into maybe an API uh, on the reputation board and be able to draw out storage providers that fit certain criteria that the client wants? Um, one of the key asks that we've had is like due to GDPR requirements, like how can we find storage providers that exist, uh, store data in a specific geography? So that hasn't been that, you know, there's a process to get that done and we're working on it right now. Like we have to get storage providers to start um, explicitly saying where they will store the data um, and then being able to, once that's included within the reputation database, uh, having the API be drawn into the client contract, for example, for you to select, or maybe it could promote the best storage provider for you to 
interact with. And um, so one of the things that we've actually done, maybe not on geography, but uh, more around um, storage providers that have adopted a certain kind of hardware that makes it easier for you to retrieve your data, um, it's called Boost. So we actually have a way that we uh, have created with the client contract that I have shared in the link here that I'm referring to, where you are able to have a queue of your storage providers um, that have adopted this technology. And so it can you can opt in for either it being an automated queue where maybe the first storage provider, uh, you know, as long as they are they have subscribed to the event of all deal proposals emitted from a client contract. Um, then they would be they will automatically form a queue to be the first storage provider to provide you with a fully made deal. And if that storage provider doesn't act within like an hour or so or a certain time limit, it would then automatically move on to the next storage provider and so on. Or you could opt in for a specific storage provider that you have maybe seen through a reputation board or you already know off-chain in person that you want to work with and you can stipulate that as your storage provider that you want to work with and submit your client contract to run programmatically to keep making deals for the application that you're trying to run. So uh, I, I know I went on a bit of a tangent, but I hope I answered most of your question. Uh, it was a pretty big question. So if there are other parts that I missed, please let me know. Yeah, yeah thank you, Sarah. Uh, you, you definitely touched on, 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 on those. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, definitely like, these are things that we are thinking about. We, we want to get more granular with how you could, you know, make it as, and also right now, like, on the developer side of things, like these are a lot of things to wait through, right? The Falcon ecosystem, like let's not kid ourselves, it's not simple. Um, but we are working with a lot of, um, well, a few trusted partners that we have that are building easier, uh, progressively easier and easier front ends for you to interact with deal making um, options. So like Lighthouse.storage is a really good example. Uh, Filecoin Data Tools is also a really great example. So they're starting to build uh, either easy SDKs or easy APIs that you can use to then integrate, like, um, you know, import and call a method that will then go deal with everything I just described for you easily within your application. So that's something that we're working on right now as well. Thank you, Sarah, for that was a very, very, very helpful explanation. So yeah. I think that <laughs> that will be that should be reference material for the the organs that uh, that want to start to to tinker with the FBM. Um, we're running out of time, so I have one, um, one last uh, question maybe to, to finish. And this one is, so I'm going to be kind of self-serving because uh, my, my other hat is being the CEO at DapNote. And um, we're, we're looking at, for what you mentioned in the last question, was that we're looking at these providers that are GDPR compliant, therefore they are KYC'd. And um, I'm, I'm often uh, on the side of a little bit more radical decentralization. I, I was wondering, um, is the future of Filecoin going more and more towards this sort of more kind of compliant uh, kind of um, KYC, huge, um, huge operators, or is there a place for the small node runner, for the completely decentralized, private, anonymous person that wants to contribute to the ecosystem? You mean as a storage provider or as a... As a storage provider, yes. Ah, yes. Okay. Oh my God. Perfect question. Um, 
one thing that we're working on, so uh, to answer your question, I think we, we are very much uh, prioritizing decentralization as much as possible. The reason why we currently have like a few, uh, you know, I mentioned like a few tools earlier on, like these are centralized versions, but they are very much meant as a temporary, well, not temporary, but like they will, they will last for a long time and they will be important, but we don't see them as like a huge percentage of what the network should look like. Like as much as possible, storage providers should be as decentralized as possible. Um, and we, I think we also have like a few criteria that we put in, you know, with Phil Plus being a program that, by the way, is a really good incentive, like it, it, it's a very strong incentive for storage providers to participate in the Phil Plus program because they get, um, like based on the deals that they store or as long as they're on the program, they get higher quality, uh, quality adjusted power within the network. But then we have certain criteria as well that stops like any one storage provider from getting too much quality adjusted power within the network. And on the back end, we have a, you know, an even larger like um, community and governance team that's thinking about how we can prevent people from colluding behind the scenes. Often, you know, again, human, human behavior is something that is just really hard to control. Um, so that's the other thing we're thinking about. So there are many precautions that we have in place to make sure that one storage provider doesn't become the be-all, end-all entity power of the network. Um, aside from that, as we get into the FDM side of things, right? so that's like old school, not old school, but that's like OG Filecoin network stuff. As we get into the space of like FVM, and we're talking about like these aggregators, uh, I'm gonna re we refer to them as aggregators, uh, which are basically storage providers that um, store any um, any size of data. Because uh, some brief context there that storage providers on the network are incentivized based on block rewards to store uh, data four gigabytes and above and seal them. In into 32 gigabyte sectors. But of course, that doesn't serve everyone because sometimes we all just have like small MD side use cases that we just want to get uploaded, right? So we call them aggregators where they are able to take a small amount of data and we really see that as the future of the Falcon network uh, that will enable like much better um, data onboarding for the whole network um, to really like take off. Uh, and they'll batch these into like four gigabyte pieces and then get them stored into storage deals and so on. Um, and there's like a lot of, and what our whole product team is working on right now is to build really clear specifications for how you can build decentralized aggregators. So as much as possible, we want um, not a centralized aggregator to be like the main bottleneck for people to send their data through, because you know you can't really control how they use your data. I mean, you, you, you hope for the best and you have compliance and everything, but you, know, you never know. Um, but we want it to be like super small decentralized aggregators that any developer could run um, within the application and just get that batched up and stored uh, trustlessly uh, into the Falcon network. So uh, I think that's what we're currently working on. And we see that as like a really, we want, we are aiming for that to be a pretty large percentage of storage providers out there. Great, thank you. That was a great response again. You're amazing, Sarah. That was really cool. Um, with that, we have reached the end of the time for the Diorg hot seat. Once more, thank you for coming here. Thank you for spending your time helping us understand the Filecoin virtual machine. And thank you for responding, responding to our questions. Yeah, that was great uh, having you here. It was definitely hot, uh, but thank you so much for having me on this on this uh, call. And I was like, yeah, this was awesome. I really enjoyed myself. This was great. Thank you so much. Thanks to you. Thanks again. Have a great one.